Welcome to the How Great Events Happen podcast. I'm Cody. And I'm Brooke, and we're coming to you today from our respective home offices in Portland, Oregon. All right, thank you to all of our listeners for joining. We have one of our favorite guests on, Mark Jeffries. Mark, uh, before we start with any of your interview questions, I wanted to ask, can you just give us a quick refresher on what you do and what your role is? Yes, so I am fortunate and lucky enough uh, to be an event MC, host, and moderator. And over the years that I've been doing this, I've ended up working with some of the most incredible, wonderful companies and organizations, including Cvent, by the way, uh, in that role. And of course, this being the year of the pivot and the pandemic, everything's changed, but I'm still doing what I love doing, which is appearing at events all over the world. But now, of course, from the uh, comfort of my own home. Love it. And I actually heard, Mark, that since the last time you were on our podcast, you actually started a new venture of your own, the very popular Mark Jeffries event podcast. Tell me all about that. Well, yeah, you see, you inspired me. We did a, we it. did a podcast interview and I thought that's good. You know, I should do that. Plus also uh, because I've had no choice but to invest in a whole bunch of uh, tech equipment for the house, given what's going on right now, I thought, well, I might as well make use of all of this. So I decided that the event community was very hungry for very uh, niche information about staging a virtual event, putting an event on, how to shift and change the expectations of the audience, what the speaker should do, what the executive should do differently than when they're on the stage. So I thought, well, what I'll do is I will connect with people I've worked with who I was really impressed with and ask them how they put their event together. What did they learn? Uh, what was great? What went wrong? What, of course, would they do differently next time? And uh, the first season of that podcast is done, but of course, it's all up. It's up and running, the Mark Jeffries event podcast, and uh, people can listen in on other, other people's experiences and stories. And what I'm probably going to do is uh, bring up uh, season two uh, once we get into the hybrid world, which I suspect we'll be talking about shortly. Oh, absolutely. Yes, Cody and I are talking all about hybrid these days. It seems like it's uh, definitely top of everybody's mind. So I'm going to be sure to tune into that. Um, and we know your day job is being this wonderful, amazing, super engaging MC. I always love seeing you at events, but you know, have to imagine things have changed for you a little bit, especially with this shift to virtual and hybrid events. What has changed? Well, everything and nothing. So uh, what I mean by that is when this all kicked off in March, I remember thinking to myself, well, that's the end of this industry now. I'm going to have to uh, become a bartender, but the bars are closed, so I won't be able to do that either. Anyway, so I was very, <laughs> I was very concerned. Let's just put it mildly. Uh, and yes, there was a dramatic change. And look, I don't need to explain to our fabulous audience. Suddenly, the event business was uh, suspended. No one was flying anywhere. All the venues were closed. We were all social distancing. So what on earth was going to happen next? Well, organizations being smart and being um, agile decided that they could not go dark because the absolute worst thing to do at that point was to go quiet and to disappear and to somehow wait for it all to end. Instead, they thought, okay, well, what, what else can we do? How can we roll out? some type of event experience, uh, but without the people, without actually going to a hotel or a ballroom and getting on a plane and setting up desks and booths. And of course, everyone shifted to the virtual model. And it was interesting because at first, people weren't sure what to do and, and what they'd always done. If you think about you know, the traditional event that we've all been to a million times, uh, you put a camera at the back of the room, 
it would stream what was going on on the stage. And that's what you would call your virtual version of the event, which of course was not acceptable in the new world. People had to create and design a virtual experience that in some way, not always, but in some way mirrored the in-person experience. And that was tough. And, and I remember the first few events I was doing in March and April, I mean, it was just really a Zoom call, bless it, you know, and, and that was fine. It At least it, man, it, it enabled organizations to reach out to their customers and, and help their executives and their C-suite team get messages across, but it wasn't good enough. Uh, and so to your question, how have things changed? I had to very quickly uh, change my offer. And I, you know, I looked at what I had and I was joke with my wife about all the gadgets. I was buying cameras and microphones and lights. And of course, I never used any of them because I was always on the road. And then this thing happened. And my goodness, it's all plugged in and humming and on now. I'm quite glad because I don't know if you if you know this, but there was a shortage on Amazon for all type of um, lighting. Lighting for your for your office, for your kitchen, wherever you needed it for cameras, you couldn't buy lights for a while. So I was kind of happy that I that I did have that. So I set up my office upstairs in the attic with uh, three-point lighting, a very nice camera. I had to invest in, I, I learned all this, but a, a HDMI video capture card, which allows you to treat your, your really smart DSLR camera as a webcam. And then I invested in microphones for better audio. Then once that was all done and I was using it nonstop, I went down to the basement in my house, set up a, a green screen studio. I had to then invest in more lighting, more audio, another another set of cameras. And um, all my events now are either downstairs, stood up with the green screen behind me or upstairs here in the office. Uh, but I'm still doing the same thing. I'm still hosting those events. And that means asking the questions, running the panels, being that glue that, that keeps the event running. But at the same time, when it's all done and dusted and I say goodbye to the fabulous audience, I turn all the lights off, I turn the camera off, I go downstairs and I hug my little girl. Oh my God, that sounds like the most oh, amazing setup. Really I puts know. my uh, single ring light to shame, I have to say. <laughs> but you know where yeah. I got this ring light is actually because I was a speaker at Cvent Connect and they sent out speaker boxes with That's microphones right. and ring lights. And I just thought that was such a cool idea. Weren't you meant to send it back? I, you know, I don't want to get you into trouble. Oh. <laughs> You know what I forgot about? I forgot I've lost the box. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. And it's, do you know what? And I, the ring light is is a lifesaver. And I can always tell when people have a ring light, especially if they wear glasses, because you can always see the reflection. Oh, yeah. by the way, top top tip: if you are on screen and you're on, excuse me, you're on camera and you're looking at your uh, computer, uh, what you want to do is change the uh, brightness of your actual laptop because the brightness, if you take it down to a quarter brightness, the glasses no longer show the reflection of the laptop screen. So top tip there. That is pro tip right there. I need that. Tip. I wear glasses and I see that all the time on myself when I look at myself in Zoom calls. That's that's such good advice. I was I not expecting that. It's <laughs> funny. And then the other thing you can do with glasses, especially if you have hair, which I don't have, so it's harder for me to do. <laughs> but if you lift the arms of the glasses above your ears a little bit higher than they normally would sit, you're shifting, of course, the reflected angle. So if you've got windows or anything that's bright in front of you, including a light, and you shift your glasses to face down ever so slightly, again, you avoid all of the glare that sometimes bounces off your uh, lenses. Oh, my gosh. Both this Cody is... and I are gla wear glasses, so this is like... Yeah. Gold. This I'm is gold. I'm looking for any tips. Yeah. <laughs> anything with that or with masks or anything like that. But, um, you know, Mark, I was going to... 
I was yes. going to say, I, I, I know um, I've seen you several times and you're so good at engaging audiences in person, but I'm just curious, do you have any tips for virtual presenters or speakers to keep the audience engaged, you know, in a, in a virtual setting? Um, I'll be, I'll be honest. It's hard. It is actually harder when you're in the in-person setting, you've got the whole stage, you can walk around. There's often lots of fun things happening behind you if you've got a good production team working with you, right? So there's lots going on in your favor in the in-person world. You can look at different sections of the audience. That's all great, but that's currently gone. And so we've gone from what you could call theater to what I would now say is cinema. This is a much more intimate connection between you and the lens. And it's a different skill set. And so what you have to do is you, you have to make that shift. If you are normally a very expressive speaker and you like to walk around the stage, whether you're an executive or you are a presenter of some sort or indeed another MC or a host, uh, it's a different skill set. Now it's this very intimate connection. It's, you're looking into the lens. You're really looking at one person. And you're speaking to them uh, in a way that now all the focus is on your voice and your facial body language. There's nothing else left. People can't see anything else. So it is more challenging. Uh, but once you've made that mental shift and you've understood that, you know, I'm, I'm talking to one person who's watching me in their office or in their um, kitchen and I'm connecting with them. Once you do that mentally, you've started to find a, a new way of forging a connection with that audience member. Uh, years ago, I used to work in radio and uh, I used to, you know, come onto my, my show, so to speak, and say, well, hello, everyone. And uh, we've got some great music lined up for you today. And we're going to start with this one, right? You know, like typical radio DJ. And the program controller took me to one side one day and he says, Mark, I want you to think of this. He says, you're on a rate, you're on radio and your listener has got the radio probably on the kitchen shelf right next to the sink. And he, he or she is washing up right now. And they're the only person in the room listening to you. So you don't say hi, everyone. You say hi to that person. How are you? How is your day going? I bet it's a nightmare, but don't worry. I'm here for you. This was how he painted it to me. Now, look, the event world is completely fundamentally different, but there's something in that that when you are on a virtual event, you're actually focusing on that one person who's sitting there taking notes, who's trying to learn, and you find a way of engaging with them specifically and only. Yeah, and I mean, what better way to engage an audience too than to have some pretty kick-ass content. Um, we know that content is key when it comes to events. Now, I have an opinion on this, but I'm not going to voice my thoughts. I want to hear from you, Mark. When it comes to content for virtual sessions, do you need to think about that or reinvent that content in a new way? Or can you kind of just do what you would have done in person, but just take it virtual? You know, once again, everything changes. We are now, all of us, television producers, we are putting on TV shows because that's really what's going on. You think of your audience member, they are sitting down in front of the laptop and they are confronted with endless um, distractions, okay? They have notifications coming in on their screen. The kids are screaming downstairs. The dog needs to go outside. And what are you going to do? Put on a 45-minute slide deck performance where you're a tiny little box in the corner and your deck is on there for 40 minutes? No, because there's no way you will keep and capture people uh, with the old method. What you have to do now is make it much more visual. So there's a couple of things. Number one, Think video first. As much video content as you can get and force into any presentation you're making, 
is key because video just captures people and and we're all we're all obsessed with the likes of YouTube and TikTok we like video content and so you have to find ways of generating that within your presentation and by the way if you if you've got a slide deck full of very important content that's great but a couple of things number 1 if you have any control over it at all make sure that you are half the picture and your slide deck is half the picture and if you can't control that, and it's either you or the slide deck, then what I do is I advise my clients and my contacts to, when it comes to the slide deck, end it early and end it often. And what I mean by that is, let's say you've shown a slide for a while, come out of it, come back to you in video, in vision, making that intimate personal connection, talk for a while before going back to the slide deck. So do not allow your slide deck to be up for 30 minutes while you're talking because you just lose people that way. The other thing, of course, is timing, duration. We do not have the ability to sit for 45 minutes to listen to one person speaking about one topic uh, nowadays. Because if, if in, the old, in the old world, you'd be in the ballroom, the lights would be down, you'd be trapped in your seated row anyway. There was no way you were going anywhere. The speaker could go on for as long as they like. Doesn't mean you were going to get a good evaluation score, but you could do that. In this virtual world, you've got to accept that we are human goldfish. And that means we just don't have the time to sit and stare at the screen, especially if you are boring us. So make it video, make it visual, and make it short. Those are my top tips for uh, content. I love the human goldfish. That's so true. Yeah, I'm just curious, Mark, how many uh, virtual events or hybrid events have you participated in since March? Just ballpark. Um, it's about 40 to 45 now. Oh, wow. Okay. It's That's been, it's been so relentless. many. And what's interesting, and I say this with nothing but respect and love for my fabulous clients, is a lot of organizations who perhaps just didn't want to spend the money on a full-on event in the past can do it now. I mean, they can do it really at a low cost. And then they look at it and they think, well, how can we add a bit of zhuzh to this? Well, we'll use an MC. We'll use someone to, to glue it all together to be that engaging voice. So the net result is a, a lot more events are taking place now, I would say, because we are all, there's now a level playing field. And whether you're Oracle, IBM, or you're a small startup, you all have access to a global audience using the tools that are at our fingertips, which is remarkable. That's so cool. So I'm just thinking, so you've been on like 40 to 45 of these. I want to hear from you. Like what has stood out as some of the good things that you've seen for planners and companies to do? And like, what are some of the things that you would maybe recommend against doing? Well, you've got to um, start by thinking, what is the experience I want my audience members to get, right? What is the desired experience? So you think about, okay, the content we want to push is this, the message we want to get out is that, but how do we want people feeling afterwards? And once you've thought about that, then you can go about thinking about the sort of platform and production you want behind it because you, you just don't want to overcomplicate things. But what you want to do is to create something that people go, okay, that was different. That was a little bit better. So a couple of cool ideas that I've been part of recently that I quite enjoyed. One was the um, was the coffee catch up, which was it was so simple. I was shooting in the basement on green screen and we replaced the normal corporate background with a um, library shot of a hotel hallway featuring a bunch of coffee stands. You know, they have those big silver urns that are heated up with a candle or something. And so it was empty. There were no people in the shot. It was just a bunch of coffee stands and tables set ready for people. 
And there I was, and we had prearranged uh, three different members of the audience to join me on video for a quick coffee catch-up, much like you would have with people before you go into the ballroom. So we ran this before the event fully started. I knew who they were, so I would say something like, oh, there's Sarah Harris, who's CMO of this company. Let's have a quick catch-up. How are you? How's things going? And she would have a cup of coffee in her remote location. I would hold my cup of coffee. We'd have a two-minute chat. Then I would find someone else, then someone else. And then I'd say, oh, my goodness, it's time to go into the main room and let's, the, let's start the event, right? So coffee catch-up was really fun. Um, another thing that works very nicely is even if you can't do live Q&A, you can invite members of your audience to send in short video questions. So rather than having the written questions, or no, to be more accurate, in addition to having the video question, the uh, written in questions, you invite people to hold up their own phones in a landscape mode and ask their question for the expert or the speaker in advance, submit the video. And then as I'm doing the Q&A session, I go, our next question is in video and it's from this person and you run that video. And in an instant, you get that lovely networking moment, you spotlight a fabulous member of the audience and you make the whole thing feel a little bit more, more interactive. So I like that. And I also like seeing any type of gameplay when it's live that is in some way competitive. And so instead of just going, well done everyone, I hope you enjoyed the game, you go, well done, everyone. We actually have a winner. So you're using the right sort of software to get you to a point where a single winner is chosen from whatever the game might be. And that's, again, quite an engaging moment. I've really loved the idea of what you said with having a video uh, question come up. You see it all the time on like TV shows, but I don't see it that often in virtual events. That's a really cool piece of advice. It's I love true. That. And you've got to do a bit of, you know, setup. You have to create uh, an upload site for your own organization's website so people can then make their video and then they can submit it as an upload item. And then your team, your production team can choose the ones that look and sound the best or the perfect content. And it just, it brings the whole thing to life a bit more. Yeah, what better way to break up the monotony and you can kind of it kind of reengages you real quick when you see a brand new person asking a question that maybe you had too. It's just a really cool piece of advice. It, let let me to, ask you guys a question. Yeah. I'm going to reverse the roles for a second. Oh, Given man. that you're you're with CVEN, <laughs> you you obviously you see a lot of organizations putting this together. I have an answer already on this, but I'd like to know yours. What do you think? Um should organizations do, say, a full-on four-hour event with maybe a morning break, a kind of a lunch-ish break and an afternoon break and get everything done in four hours, or across two or three days, put the same amount of content in, but have maybe only hour-long sessions? So every day you log in at the same time and here's the event and here's our next hour and we continue that way. Which do you think is preferable? Ooh, I have my vote. I, I definitely go for the multi-day, a few or an hour a day. I just think about my job, you know, there's no way I can just like take a day and walk away for, to go to a virtual event, but it's a lot nicer to just kind of like hop in, absorb the content, hop out. Would you agree, Cody? Yeah, I feel about like with the tension spans, an hour here, hour there, you're really going to get a lot more out of it. It's also so if you're just sitting there for four hours straight, that last hour is probably lost. So I agree with Brooke, I feel like maybe spreading it out over the course of a couple of days, two or three days, you're going to get better engagement and probably more participation. And yeah. also, I would say too, I mean, from a planner or a pro event producers perspective, so many learnings happen when you're talking about virtual, you know, like, 
day one, you might want to switch things up just a little bit for day two. And we kind of need to give ourselves that space while we're learning as we go. I'm in complete agreement with you guys. I think you're right. And I also like the fact that when you've had an overnight to consider everything that happened and to see some messages that came in and some feedback, you can then start referring to the feedback and the members of the audience that had things to say or something they tweeted or put on LinkedIn. And so then it really starts to come together. When you're live straight for four hours, you don't really have the time to start looking at some of the feedback and the opinion and the comments coming in. So I agree. I think it's, it's worth breaking it up over two to three days, probably not four. That's maybe a bit too much to ask. And also, don't offer your audience uh, the chance to watch everything on demand at any time they please, like Netflix or Hulu. Instead, say elements of our event will be available for you afterwards, but you're going to miss stuff if you're not with us on time. Even if it's pre-recorded, I think it's important to hold some stuff back and don't make it instantly available because then you give people the choice. They go, well, you know, I'm too busy making um, some cake, so I'll watch it later on. Such that makes advice. sense. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many cool pieces of advice. Is there one like overall takeaway or piece of advice that you would give our listeners? Um, not one overall piece, but I would say that pre-recorded is, is the way to go uh, oh, for the I majority <laughs> of the event, right? It's just so dangerous when you're when you're risking live. Most people still rely on very dodgy Wi-Fi connections. It was amazing in the early days how a lot of the senior teams of all these organizations, the C-suite, if you will, had kind of run away to their holiday homes or their second properties, and they just had never invested in Wi-Fi in those locations. And it was awful, and it was garbled, and the lines were dropping out. And the worst thing in the world, of course, would be to have a live event where you lose your CEO or your CMO. Um, so pre-recorded makes it safer. Uh, but then there is that question of, well, hold on, what about interactivity? What about audience Q&A? So part of that can be solved, and we've already touched upon it with pre-submitted questions. Uh, but there's no reason why you can't do a short live hit later on in the actual pre-recorded item, uh, the pre-recorded element, excuse me, where you bring back the speakers from the morning, and you've got a short live hit where you're actually answering some questions that have come in. I think that's worth doing uh, to create that interactivity. I think the other thing you want to do is um, you want to market the event with video. I, I've said right from the top, video is so important. So put some really cool user-generated or exec-generated videos together to market the fact that the virtual event is coming. Create that person-to-person -person connection before the event even happens so that when the virtual event starts, your audience is going, oh, look, it's that, that guy from my inbox. I'm, I'm already familiar with this. It's a nice little piece to do before the event starts. I think that's wonderful advice. Mark, it's been so great having you on the podcast. I feel like every time you come on, we always learn something new and you're just so much fun to talk to. Our favorite guest, hands down. Um, thank you again for your time. and. Um, Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank Thanks, you. Mark. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Um, let's do it again soon. Absolutely. Before you guys know it, we'll have another great episode. So we'll talk to you then. Bye. Bye.